Thank you. Thank you, Peter, for that most gracious introduction. If I were to introduce myself, I would just say David Wong is a Chinese. And my definition of a Chinese, one who can buy from the Jews, sell it to the Scots, and make 35% profit. <laughs> Every time. And now I have a special offer for you. It's a good book. I mean, it's a really good book. It's a wonderful book, as a matter of fact. Why? Because I wrote it. <laughs> and my picture is in it. No, no, no. Still read. Talking about three Christian co-workers of mine from China. Three prisoners. Three survivors. Three heroes. Three saints. One represents the church of Jesus Christ in China of the 60s and 70s. One represents the Church of Jesus in China from the 80s to 90s. One represents the Church of Jesus from 90s to now. And if you read their story, you will understand why the Chinese church is determined to bring the gospel back to Jerusalem. Regularly, this book is selling for, I think it's 26. But this morning, I'm making you a very special <laughs> offer. It's going just for $20. But, but, but listen, listen. Don't think about yourself buying a book. Think about yourself buying an investment. I live in Hong Kong. And now Hong Kong has returned to China. So I'm now a Chinese citizen. And yet I still go to China almost every week. And I do all sorts of the craziest things inside China. What happened if Beijing doesn't like it anymore? Hmm. What happened if they bust me somewhere in China? Hmm. What happened if they put me into a prison somewhere inside China? Hmm. What happened if I die somewhere in a prison cell inside China? Then the value of this book goes. <laughs> And in order to ascertain your investment, this afternoon at the back of the foyer, I'll be signing every copy for you. All right, pick out your book. 45 years, one job, first job, the same job, only job. And the way it goes, it will also be my last job. 45 years. And what kind of a job is that? Doing missions in Asia and doing missions into China. Somehow, I could be in Finland talking about Cambodia. Or I can be in Japan talking about Nepal. Or I can be in New Zealand preaching about the challenge of Mongolia. But still, afterwards, the Christian church would come to me and ask, but David, David, What's happening to the church in China? I mean, the world seems to have a secret love affair going on with China. And after 45 years of being bombarded with questions and questions and questions, how is the church? Are Christians still being persecuted? Can they now go to church? Can they have Bibles now? Finally, finally, from the scripture, I find a perfect 
perfect answer to all these questions. Philosophically, theologically, missiologically. I mean, that particular dialogue is a perfect answer to all those questions about China. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 21, verse 11 and 12. And it's a very interesting dialogue. It goes something like this. An oracle, a prophecy about Duma. Duma, a big, big country. And there's a voice crying from Sia. Sia, far away places. And his voice was rather desperate. He was repeating itself. And he was saying, watchman, 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 watchman. Living in Hong Kong for the past 55 years, I mean, looking through the bamboo curtain into China, certainly a China watcher. So watchman, watchman, how dark is the night? I mean, when it comes to the church in China, how dark is the night? And as an honest watchman, I have to answer, sometimes the night is very, very dark. For instance, 1957, the year I escaped from Shanghai to Hong Kong. In July, inside a church on a Sunday morning, my pastor, in front of his wife, in front of his two daughters, my pastor, inside a church, Sunday morning, he was clubbed to death. The night was dark. Or 1967, at the height of the Cultural Revolution, Chairman Mao's Red Guards, they were running amok. They came into our home in Shanghai, and in my grandmother's bedroom, they found a Bible this size. And for that, my grandmother was paraded in the streets of Shanghai. Mao's criticized. What does that mean? Anybody can come up to her to kick her, to slap her, to beat her, spit on her for three days. They sent my grandmother home, and she died for a little Bible of this size. The night, the night was indeed very, very dark. But then, this watchman, honest watchman, he had to say, but, but, listen up, listen up, but the morning comes. That is, that is the pattern. That is the way how God works. It's often in the worst, worst, darkest moment, God intervenes. A dawn arrives. A new day breaks. And the watchman say, the night has been very dark, but the morning comes, and if you are really interested, come back, come back and ask again. And here you are. You have come back. And you're not asking, Dr. Wong, what is China like now? What is the church in China looks like? China, China, in these five areas, economy, diplomacy, that means, you know, making friends and influencing people worldwide. Del Carnegie is live and kicking in China. You know, 
in terms of education, in terms of resources, and military. These five areas, China is catching up very, very fast. And about the church, the church, the church is growing so exponentially. It's exploding. It isn't just surviving. And now, even according to the Beijing government itself, that in today's China, there could well be over 100 million born-again Christian believers in China. 100 million. And as I observe that church exploding, growing, I'm noticing there are several major trends that are happening to that church. Number one trend, from the rural to the city. For the longest time, 60 years now, 60 years, no Bibles, no church, no missionaries, no pastors, but the church of Jesus Christ, I mean, they kept exploding, exploding, exploding. But that only happened in the rural areas of China. And you ask, why? Why only in the villages and in the rural, in the backwaters? You. You. It was because of you. For almost 200 years, you sent your finest young men and your finest young women as missionaries to China. And they came. They came to plant the cross of Jesus Christ in this ancient land of Cathay. And they came all following the steps of James Hudson Taylor. China Yinland Mission. And Dr. Taylor says, if I have a thousand lives, I will not spare one, but spend them all in China. If I have a thousand pounds sterling, I will not keep one, but pour them all out in China. Taylor didn't want to stay in the city. Secured, prosperous. Instead, China, Yinland, mission. And your young man, and your young woman, and they went to the interior. They went to the hardest soil. They went to the most superstitious people groups. And they went to the most resistant and most traditional. And there in the rural backwaters of China, your missionaries, they sweated. They teared. They bled. And they died. One out of every four missionaries died in the backwaters of China. And they sown the seeds of Jesus Christ. And then they were kicked out of China. Every single one of them, when the communists came, they were kicked out from China. And those seeds, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, they didn't die. They germinated. They took roots downward and it began to bear fruits upward. And now, there is not just a surviving church, there is a thriving church exploding inside China. But that is just with the powerless, the illiterate, the peasantry, 
And what about the major cities? The major cities of China, for the last 60 years, it was tightly controlled under the cross of the Red Dragon. Until 1989, June. And you will remember Tiananmen Square. Remember Tiananmen Square? Remember the student? Remember Wang Weizi, 22 years old, a student, two bundles of books with his mere body standing in front of tanks, trying to stop the tanks from rolling in to the square. Well, the tanks, they roared in to the square. The lights were darkened. The machine guns were fired. And students, by the hundreds, in fact, could be thousands, they were killed. It was the darkest, darkest night in the history of China. And Tony, Tony, he was a filmmaker, a graduate from Hamburg University, working for a German television station. He hid himself on the rooftop of a public toilet, and he stayed. And he, sh- with a long-distance lens, he captured the massacre. He filmed it. But then because of too much screaming of death, too much bloodshed, too much crushed bodies. By dawn, Tony climbed down from the rooftop, abandoning all his equipment, but with three rows of films. The evidence, the evidence of the massacre. But then he was so, he was in a state of shock. He was vomiting. He was feverish. And he dared not go back to his little apartment. He wandered in the streets of Beijing, feverish. Finally, he ran away from the city. He went to the suburb. He knocked on the doors of his grandmother in the village. And he collapsed in the house of his grandmother. For three days and three nights, Tony was in and out, in and out of a coma. But every time when he came to, he noticed his grandmother was kneeling by his cot, and his grandmother was praying for him. When he came to, Tony remembered. He was six, he was seven, he was eight. And for those few years, he stayed with his grandmother. And the grandmother would actually whisper into his ears in fear that others might hear. The old grandmother will whisper into the ears of Tony, Tony, there is a God. Tony, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Tony, his name is Jesus. Tony, Jesus makes the blind to see. He causes the lame to walk. He sets the captives free. He declares, I am the truth, the way, and the life. You all came back. You all came flooding back to Tony. And he burned the films. He burned the films. He said, those films, they couldn't save China. Only Jesus who said, I am the truth, I am the way, I am life, that could save China. He became an evangelist. Oh, no, no, no. He was arrested. They found the equipment. They traced back to him. They arrested him. For 30 months, they punished him. 
they brainwash him. They use electric rods to beat him in the most sensitive parts and to put nails into different parts of his body. I burn the films. I burn the films. I burn the films. It was only that he was released and became an evangelist. First among the television people that you work with, then with the movie industries, then with the media, the professionals, the newspaper men, the journalists, and the doctors, the lawyers, like a single spark that set a peril of fire. The church of Jesus Christ suddenly began to explode throughout the major cities of China, Shanghai, Beijing, Guangzhou, Nanjing, Chongqing, and the church. I mean, this time, this time, that's the second trend. The second trend of the church in China, it has moved from the powerless to the powerful. These are the movers and shakers of the society. Once, not too long ago, in fact, I think it was two years ago, one of my co-workers, she was teaching parenting to a group of professionals in Beijing in a hotel room, banquet room. And there were about 200 of them. And then suddenly the door burst open. Five Beijing policemen rushed into the hall and they were beat up the people and chasing them away. This was illegal. But then a middle-aged man walked up to these five policemen, pointing to his nose. Do you know who I am? Don't you recognize me? Get out! He shouted at the policeman, Get out now! And he was raising his hand. And those five policemen, Sorry, sir. Sorry, sir. And they back out. And he said to our co-worker, Carry on. Carry on. And my co-worker, she finished her teaching right away. <laughs> and then she headed for the airport. Came back. And she told me about the incident. I said, did you find out who was that man? Well, later the church folks told me he was just an actor. <laughs> he was, no, he was not just an actor. He recognized his role and position in the kingdom of God. Do you know who I am? Don't you recognize me? I'm the son of the living God. They are becoming emboldened. And thus, I'm discovering that church in China is no longer a hiding church. Instead, the number three trend of the church in China is becoming a shining church. Not just a hiding. No, it's not underground anymore. And what was the turning point? 2008. May, May 12, 208 in the afternoon, the earthquake, the Sichuan earthquake that knocked China to its knees. In the first 60 seconds, 50,000 people were killed. By the first minute and a half, over 30 million people displaced. That kind of earthquake. And Director General Wang, a general, 
And he was in charge of the rescue and relief. I mean, he did something totally, totally groundbreaking. He opened up China to the media, to the world, to his own citizens, to the world. Director General Wang says, please, please to the world, come, come and help us. That's the first time ever in the history of China that you will actually beg for help from the world. And Director General also said to the media, go, go there and take pictures and send it back to your home countries so that the people would know. And then he said to his own citizens, he told the people of China, these are your brothers. These are your sisters. Come and help them. And he said, this is not a disaster. This is not a catastrophe. This is apocalyptic. Apocalyptic? How in the world would a communist official use that language? Well, Director General later told me, you know, I went to Harvard. You know, I got my PhD in Harvard. I said, yes, yes, I know that. He said, what's my minor? Did you know my minor when I was studying at Harvard? I said, no. What was your minor? He said, theology. I study theology. One of the highest ranking officials of China. Apocalyptic. And when the house church leaders heard about that, I mean, they came. They came in their little Hondas. They came in their little Toyotas. They came in their Sabulus. They came in everything. And they came by the thousands. They are engineers. They are professionals. They are doctors. They are lawyers. They are nurses. And they came and they pulled the dead out of the debris and they buried them. And they rescued the wounded. And they fed the hungry. And they gave water to the... All along, they were raising the big flags, big flags, huge flags, and every one of them were wearing T-shirts. And the T-shirts marked in the front, Christians of China. They stole my name. Our name in China is called Action Love, which is a shh, 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 quiet, quiet operation. But now these Christians are so emboldened. Christians of China in actions of love. And many of them actually wrote at the back of the T-shirt, Jesus saves. And they went to the earthquake episode with the flags. They were captured by CNN. They were captured by CCTV, China's television. And they were known. They became very known. And because of their efforts, in December of 2008, I was invited by the president of China, founder. I was the founder of Action Love. So with 17 others, you know, these are the top people to be acknowledged from the outside. And there was, of course, Bill and Miranda Gates, you know, Hong Kong Jockey Club, Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank, and I was one of the 17. And when I got to the great hall of the people of China, I discovered in lining up, I was, I was ahead of even Bill Gates. Hmm. I was... The very first to be shaken hand by the president of China. And he came and shook hand with me, looking at my name tag. He said, I didn't know it. My name tag wasn't Dr. David Wong. My name tag wasn't Mr. David Wong. My name tag actually says Reverend David Wong. 
And the president of China said, "Oh, this is my first time to shake hands with a reverend." And I said to him, "Kiss my ring, and God bless you, my son." <laughs> Church in China, we're no longer hiding. The church is now like a city built on the mountain top. It is shining. And the fourth trend that I'm noticing of the church in China, for the longest time, we were a receiving church, receiving, getting, getting, getting church. But now. But now we are becoming a returning church. For the longest time, we were known as rise Christians. We come to Jesus because we can get rise from missionaries. But now, that rise Christian church is becoming a returning church. Now, counting back, it could be as, it could be almost twenty years ago. We bought a mountain, Asian Outreach. We bought a mountain in Henan, not because of the mountain, but because of the, the abandoned mining caves in those mountains. And for that, in the mining caves, that we could do training of the house church leaders of China. And I remember, mid 80s, I was taken into one of these deep, deep thousands of feet deep into the center of the earth. And in that mining caves for three days, I was preaching. I was teaching. I was preaching. I was teaching. I was preaching. I was teaching. So after three long days, never came out caved. They finally brought me up to the surface, and I saw the light. Well, have you ever seen an Oriental disoriented? <laughs> That was me. I was so disoriented. I, all I wanted was to go home to my wife. Just let me take me to the train station. But then those young leaders, they took me up to the surface. I mean, they were they were just pestering me. Wang 老师，王老师， teacher Wang， teacher Wang， can can、uh, can we talk about cooperation with you? And I look at them from Wenzhou, poor, poor. I mean, sh- shaggy, smallish, undernourished, poverty-stricken. And then I wanted to talk about cooperation with me, with Asian outreach, and I said, "Okay, okay, we broadcast the gospel to China, and you listen to the gospel now, boys. That is cooperation. Or we send Bibles to China, and you read the Bible now, boys. That is good cooperation. But no, they were saying to me, 'We know Asian outreach is all over Asia. We are wondering if Asian outreach can provide spiritual covering.'" For our international teams, I heard him. I heard the words, but I didn't get a meaning. International teams, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have one team that has gone to northern Vietnam. We have one team that has gone to northern Burma. We have one team that has actually gone to Kazakhstan. I said, where? He said, Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan. You know, I didn't know. We have one team that has gone to Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan, you know, you know. I didn't know. Now later, of course, I find out there are the four-hour states from the former USSR. Aro, 100% Muslim, 100% nuclear armed. 
And they have teams that have gone to Ubikistan, Kazakhstan. And we have one team that has gone to Outer Mongolia. Could you provide spiritual covering for our teams? And I said, but you have no passports. <laughs> no, we have no passports. Then you have no visas. No, we have no visas. And then I said, but then you don't have a support system. You know support system? There's a nicer way of saying to them, but you don't have money. You don't have a support. No, we don't have a support system. I was agitated. Actually, I was angry. I looked at them and I barked at them and said, then what do you have? And these Wenzhou leaders, they back off me and then they come back, tears flowing down their faces. And they said, but Wang Laoshi, Wang Laoshi, teacher Wang, but we have feet, but we have feet. They cried and they said, but we have feet. Folks, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, how beautiful are the passports of the United States of America. No, the Bible didn't say that. Oh, oh, oh. No, 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 no. The Bible said, oh, how beautiful are the colors of the American green bag. No, no, no. The Bible didn't say that. The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those that will carry my glad tidings of peace. And the Bible said, how beautiful are the feet of those that will climb the mountains, crawl the valleys, and they will declare my gospel of salvation. The church in China, they said, we have feet. And the Church of, Amer church of America, look out, the Chinese are coming. <laughs>